I raised millions of dollars professional career. But I'm not going to do that here. What we do, we do together. And so if you feel that that was kind of a soft sell on that list, it is what it is. These are the things that we need to do in the church. There's been seed money already given towards it. So if you see some things that we're starting to do, that's because there's been money that's already been given towards some of these projects. But don't expect me to give you the hard sell stuff because I'm not going to do that. What we're here about is to learn about God, to worship Him, and understand His nature and His character. Enough said about that. I spoke last week about uh, the kingdom of heaven because I felt it was such an important subject, enough to make me alter my plans for uh, this upcoming two months and probably longer about the subject matter that I want us to learn about together. And so what you received last week in the way of the delivery of the kingdom of heaven forcefully advancing was just the beginning of a series that I'm calling Foundations. And it may take us six months to get through what I'm about to share with you. But that's okay. I discovered in teaching Genesis for ten weeks uh, from January up until about the middle of March that people really enjoy studying a book of the Bible. And so we're going to do that, but today we're going to lay a foundation for foundations. And I want you to understand why. This is, um, we'll consider this an overview message for where we're headed. This last week on uh, Wednesday night, because my house is uh, occupied by teenagers, I get to see things on television that I normally probably wouldn't watch with my wife and myself if there were not teenagers in our house. But my kids decided they wanted to watch American Idol. And uh, specifically the program, Idol Gives Back. And it was a fundraising night. So I'm watching this event. Maybe some of you watch this as well. The finale song for Idol Gives Back on, I think it was Wednesday night, was a worship song. And as soon as I heard the first few chords, I'm sitting at the dining room table, my family's in the living room, I thought, no way. <laughs> and I lean back in my chair and look in there, and sure enough, they're getting ready to sing, Shout to the Lord, on national television, the most viewed national program on national television, on Fox. Now, it really caught me by surprise, and maybe it'll catch you by surprise. I want to see if you see what's missing in this song. Adam, would you go ahead and play that clip? Who knows what word was missing? You got it. One of the most well-known worship songs in the world. And they choose to put it on the highlight, but they leave out the name Jesus. Why? 
Go ahead, Preston. There you go. They would offend people. Jesus' name is controversial, isn't it? This is the verse we ended off with last week. It's from Matthew 10, 17. It'll be up on the screen. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, if you were looking to franchise a business, that's not exactly the motivational employee speech you would give, is it? You can't sell too many products by shooting straight like that. Matter of fact, this is a time in history when you could indeed be killed for your faith. If you misrepresented what the masses believe to be the acceptable thing, you would be persecuted, potentially put to death. Can you defend why you believe what you believe? Do you know why you believe what you believe? Will you stand firm to the end? That's what Jesus said. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. I remember watching three years ago when a journalist captured in Iraq by terrorists was threatened with his life if he would not recant his faith in Jesus. He was a Christian journalist from England. He was in the news for three days. You might remember it. He was held and told that if he would not recant that he believed Jesus was the king, the Messiah, they would kill him. He did. He recanted. He said, okay, I give. Now, in a later news report, he said, well, I figured I could just do that there. And then, you know, once I got safe back to England, then I could say, no, I I'm, I'm really am a Christian. Is that what Jesus meant? Save ourselves for the time being? The early church had accomplished its goal of reaching Jerusalem. In Acts 1.8, it said, You are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And the early church accomplished the goal of reaching Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, by the end of chapter 4, the Jewish leaders were accusing them, saying, Your doctrine has filled all of Jerusalem. You have totally infiltrated the city. And so by phase 1, the advancement of the kingdom, forcefully advancing, had happened in Jerusalem. Achieved, goal number 1. Goal number two, Jesus said, was to go out to Judea and Samaria, spreading out beyond Lansing into the greater mid-Michigan area. Beyond just where you live, start spreading it out beyond the regions. But before they could do that, before the first century church could move ahead, they had to organize themselves. They were experiencing internal struggles within their operation. And so they appointed seven godly men 
to be leaders in the church, to be leaders who would take the heat off from the apostles so they could dedicate themselves to the preaching of the word and to prayer. And one of the men that they appointed was a young man by the name of Stephen. I'm going to take you to the book of Acts this morning. Specifically, we're going to go to Acts chapter 7. If this is your first time here, you'll find Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. Some of them are NIV, New International Version Translation, and some of them are NASB, New American Standard Bible Updated Version. If you don't own a Bible, you are welcome to take one of those with you so that you have one at your home. Now, one of the seven men who was appointed by the apostles to help organize the church, a young man by the name of Stephen, Scripture says he was full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, and full of power. Now beyond that, he was a pretty powerful preacher. That wasn't why he was chosen. He was chosen to allow the apostles to go out and preach. And he was to do some of the organizing and the feeding of the widows. But the word of God so welled up within him, he couldn't hold himself back. And so he went out to some synagogues, places where Jewish people meet. People who were from other countries who had come to Jerusalem from Rome, from Africa, and they found themselves in Jerusalem meeting in synagogues with people who spoke what they spoke because not all Jews spoke Greek. And this is where we find Stephen in Acts chapter 6. So appear on the screen. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the providences of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Because of the spirit within the man, because of the wisdom within him, no one could take him on. Stephen was too much to handle. Even though he argued against some of the brightest minds of his time, he was a great debater. He knew why he believed he could defend himself. Now, his enemies started slandering him. They're bringing accusations against him. In Israel, there's four things you do not do. You do not speak against God. You do not speak against the law, the Torah. You do not speak against Moses. And you do not speak against the temple. And this is what they accused him of, all four of these things. They accused him of speaking against all four of those big issues, and they brought accusations against him so that when we find him now in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, they persuaded some men to lie about him. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses, one, against God, two. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, three, the temple, and against the law, four. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. 
Now, so you understand it, the Sanhedrin is the supreme court of that day. These are all lawyers, very powerful, influential people. Stephen had done nothing wrong. He merely proved that Jesus was the one they were pointing towards. The law, the temple, God, all of history pointed to Jesus. And Stephen's saying, look at the consummation of the ages. This is him. But they didn't like what he was saying because it didn't fit their interpretation. Politically, he was a dangerous guy. So they hauled him into court. And where we start this morning in Acts chapter 7 is Stephen making his defense before the Supreme Court. You see it start out, Acts chapter 7, verse 1, when the high priest says to him, are these charges true? In other words, convict, how do you plead? And he doesn't even answer the high priest's charges. He answers with a sermon. Follow this with me, Acts chapter 7. Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. As a sideline, you might want to underline in your Bible when it says, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. I wrote down in my Bible, saved to worship. God called us out and saved us so that we could worship him. Now, do you get the sense that Stephen is building a case? He's brilliant in the way that he approaches this. Why did Stephen go all the way back to the time of Abraham to save his life? to make his case for who Jesus was, to speak authoritarily to those who were in law who had the right to condemn him to death. Why did he go all the way back to Abraham? We'll come back to that in a minute. There is much in between where we're headed. I want you to have this written down yourself. I want to give you an assignment. Today, sometime between now and um, even next week when you come back, Read for yourself from the end of where we just left off, worship me in this place, all the way up to verse 51, because that's where we're going to pick up now. There's an incredible story that Stephen lays out for everyone in between those verses. But follow along with me at verse 51. This is his answer to them, his accusation. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. 
When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. What did he say in that set of sentences that was so inflammatory that caused people to want to cause this kind of a violent death. Stoning is incredibly violent. What did he say? He builds one of the most powerful indictments that you will ever read. And that's why I want you to read those verses in between when you get a chance. He does it very subtly. And finally, it climaxes to the point where they hear the message loud and clear. In the scheme of things, words are just words. Just utterances, but rightly delivered, given a right defense, an apologia. Rightly delivered, words change the course of nations. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down those walls. And a nation tears down its walls, allowing communism to be decimated. Think of the words that leaders deliver. Think of the words that you could speak into another's life to redirect the course of their life. But these words were so powerful that they wanted to kill him. Now notice the progression with me in verse 52. You have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. Now there's a long-held understanding among the Jews that when Moses wrote the Torah, the five books, the very first Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that what he wrote was actually given to him by angels from God. And so that's why he's saying, the words that were handed to them from angels, but you have not obeyed it. And this, what did it do? If you look at Scripture, it says, when they heard this, they were furious. How mad do you have to be at someone to... To gnash your teeth. Have you ever had anyone gnash their teeth at you? I, you have, Preston? I never have. You might have to talk about that, Keith. <laughs> oh, I saw a hand go up. Have you ever had anyone gnash their teeth at you? That's pretty violent anger. But they haven't yet decided to kill him. They're just furious at him. And then when he said this, I see the Son of Man at the right hand of God. He used Jesus. He used the example of the Messiah. And that's when they decided to kill him. They rushed at him with their hands over their ears. Ah! It's like a little child on the playground that doesn't want to hear it. Da 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 da. They got their hands over their ears, they're screaming loud, and they run up and they grab him. 
2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We're going to come back to Stephen in just a minute. I have a question for you. Can convictions about God's word get you killed today? Can the position that you hold regarding who Jesus is cause you to be persecuted today? I'm going to encourage you to read a book that I've been working through myself um, the last couple of weeks. I just picked it up about a week and a half ago. It's called Epicenter, written by Joel Rosenberg. And Joel is a Messianic Jew. He's a, a man who was raised Jewish but came to Christ a few years ago. Epicenter, E-P-I-Center. And he gives a great perspective on why things are the way they are in the world today. Uh, he's uh, greatly tied in in Washington, and he has some remarkable insights. These next quotes I choose to share with you are from his book because he's aware of an individual who does dislike Christians. Well, dislike is too weak of a word. Who hates Christians enough to try and kill them. Now understand, young people in this room, if you haven't heard this before, there have been people through the generations who have wanted to kill Christians for their belief. This is just one in the line of many. But he chooses to take this position. Listen to this quote. This individual says he believes he has been chosen by Allah to become leader at this critical hour to hasten the coming of the 12th Iman, the Islamic Messiah. He also said this, this is his method for doing it, by launching a final holy war against Christians and Jews. You might know who this is because I can't pronounce his name. Makma. Adam, you've got to help me with this. Ahmadinejad? Let's see his picture. He publicly vowed to annihilate the United States. Do you live in a time when men hate you because you belong to Christ? This is just one example of others who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they would say very clearly, you don't have a right to live. Now he made one more very recent telling acclamation about his feelings about Israel. And this uh, is only a year old. He said, Israel is heading toward annihilation and will one day vanish. This is what Jesus said in response to individuals like this. Mark this down. Matthew 10.28 Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Have you ever found yourself behind enemy lines? Have you ever found yourself in the midst of a conversation in the workplace or in the lunchroom at school? And conversation that was very generic at one moment suddenly turned to spiritual questions and people started stating their position on who Jesus is and their interpretation and you're thinking internally, should I say something? Should I be quiet? Should I say something? Your heart begins to beat. The blood pressure goes up and you're thinking, I should jump in. Oh man, if my pastor was here, I'd know what to say. <sighs> We'd really show him. 
my heart's desire for you, if you choose to be part of New Hope, is that you will know how to give an apologia for your faith. The apologetics. It's the study of the understanding of how we defend who we are. The word apologia, it's a plea. Let's bring that definition up. Not there? Okay. Apologia, let me read it to you. It's a plea, an answer for self, a defense, a speech in defense of. Now, here's the reason I want you to get that down. The word apology comes from apologia. I am sick and tired of Christians making an apology for what they believe but rather an apologia, a defense for the faith. Don't apologize for why you believe what you believe. Defend why you believe what you believe. That's the true meaning of the word. Paul in Acts chapter 25, before King Agrippa said, I have the right to give a defense for my faith, to stand up and tell you why I believe what I believe. Stephen knew why he believed what he believed. And he was willing to stake his life on it. Jude 3 says, don't just defend the faith, contend for the faith. Fight for it. After you've defended it, fight for it. Stephen knew what he believed, why he believed it, and he was willing to stake his life on it and die for it. That's where we're headed over the next number of months as we're going to do what Stephen did, and we're going to go all the way back in time, a couple millennia, and we're going to start at Genesis chapter 12 next week. And we're going to move from the time of Abraham all the way forward so that you can give a defense for your faith. I take very seriously the responsibilities that God has given me. He's given me a charge. And the charge is that we should highly exalt Jesus Christ. There's a promise that's given to us from Philippians 2, 9, and 11. I want you to read it along with me on the screen if you haven't read this in a long time. Philippians 2, 9, and 11. God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you need to apologize for that? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. No matter whether or not Fox Television wants to put Jesus' name at the beginning of a song that he was intended to be at. No matter that your friends don't like you to use the name Jesus. Don't apologize for it. Make a defense for why he is who he said he was. Stephen understood his audience. We're going to understand our audience as well. As we move forward in time, Stephen said, I believe in God in the fullest possible sense. I understand who he is, and I'm going to defend him. That's why we're going to go all the way back in time. Why did Stephen go all the way back to the story of Abraham? Because he knew that he could lay a foundation, a firm foundation 
for why he believed what he believed. So that's where we're going to move forward in time. This is the verse that I take very seriously. It's from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints. For the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Everything we're going to do, whether it takes six months or a year, I really don't frankly know. But we're going to lay a defense for the gospel of why we believe what we believe. All of it will point to Christ. Each time when you leave, you will leave with more confidence and assurance of why you believe what you believe. Christians are prone to times of great doubt. Man, what Oprah just said sounds so real. Wow, what Adinajab, he really has a right to say that. I mean, it sounds plausible. That isn't consistent with what Scripture says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only one. No one gets to the Father except through me. How do you defend that? Have no fear. I've read the end of the book. We win. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we're going to spend time dedicated to understanding more of your nature and character. And we want to do it with willing hearts and with minds that are ready to understand who you are. But our minds are given to doubt and to wonder and to wandering. So I pray for each of us, myself included, Father, that we would be wholeheartedly dedicated to you and that we would speak of you with a boldness like we have not known before. We ask for a fresh anointing of the power of your Spirit. We really desire to represent you well. To speak boldly. God, we ask for these things and for the courage that Stephen had to accomplish it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you haven't been here before, we have refreshments out in the atrium and the foyer afterwards. You are welcome to enjoy that. Have a great week. <laughs>